Hey, it's Brandon here. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless. And that's why Zenium provides a complete solution for both. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your organization. Learn more about the complete HR and payroll solution at ZeniumHR.com. Today's episode features Pamela Hackett. Pamela is the author of Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. We talked about how there was an unusual jump in engagement from before the pandemic to during the pandemic. And I asked her why that was. We also tackled the whole point of disengagement, why it happens in the first place, and it leads to managers. So we talk about how, as a manager, we can engage our people more, and we talk about ideas such as the one plan. I think by the end of the interview, you will have plenty of things that you can take back to your organization to start engaging your people a lot more. Enjoy today's episode with Pamela Hackett. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. It is such a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks a great deal for being able to spread the message about engagement. Of course. I'm excited to actually dive into your book. It's called Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. I want to start here. We've gone through this pandemic and you had a couple interesting statistics in the book about how pre-pandemic, people were really disengaged. And then something happened during the pandemic where engagement went up a little bit. And that, what do you attribute that to? I actually think that it, it gave people a cause. So notwithstanding the great human tragedy and the economic and the social and the wellness and all of that stuff, but it actually, it rallied people to come together on a common cause, which of course is what we all know to be a huge engager, if you like, day to day. But during the pandemic, it kind of forced us all to do that, right? We all stepped up and we all did our bit. And so that did give us a spike. And it also gave us some lessons learned that say, boy, we've got some things now that we can really learn from where we know that these people who traditionally sometimes will get called under-engaged, disengaged, or resistant to change, these guys all stepped up. So maybe that's not the problem. Do you think that we'll regress to our old ways and, and once the newfound purpose and engagement might wear off if we kind of fall back into our old habits? Well, I think so. Two two ways to answer that. And one is that the engagement scores, of course, drop down again. And that's because kind of the new reality is set in and people are getting on with life in this new world. So I think that we have this huge opportunity to get back to that spike that we experience, but make it a plateau and then continue to work on it. And then I think, I don't know if it's a question of whether people will get back to their old ways as 
people are overwhelmed, they're exhausted, they've been through, because you've got two types of businesses, don't you? You've got those that really were impacted negatively, and then you've got those that took off. And so either way you look at it, you've got this workforce that is probably just shattered, as as we Australians and English would say, just exhausted. (laughs) And so you've got to figure out how are we going to keep everybody moving forward? And so I don't know if it's that they'll slip back, because I think managers have really taken a big step forward to understand how important it is to engage. They just may not know pragmatically what are the solutions and how can we keep moving forward? How can we make engagement a priority and how can we up those statistics? How do employees get disengaged in the first place? So if we're looking at pre-pandemic and even now we're sort of worn off and people are, the engagement scores are going down, what are the causes of, of that? Scarily, it is the boss. So overall, the the biggest impact on engagement is whoever your direct boss is. If you don't have a great relationship with them, if you don't have um, that sense of camaraderie with them, of being able to connect with them routinely, if you don't have that great boss that is able to engage you, then you're probably going to be under-engaged or disengaged. So most of the reason that people, it's like that old saying goes that people don't leave companies, they, they leave bosses. But, but there's also also the aspect of you could have a really good boss, but you happen to be in an environment that just isn't working. The, the equipment's always down or the, the they're not reinvesting in that business. And so you get up every day and you've got to deal with the same problems every day. And so that may actually, it might be the ecosystem, but predominantly it's, I hate to say it, but we as leaders and bosses, we're the guys accountable for under-engagement. It's pretty wild to think that a boss has that much power over happiness of employees. I mean, you think about it like a larger company where there's tons of bosses, there's a a layer of middle management and in one department or one function with one boss, you might have a completely different experience than somebody across the organization who's got a fantastic boss. Yeah, exactly right. It's why you've got, it's why you do have big companies where you can have pockets of just absolute excellence and people love it. And then you can have, you know, whole business units that are completely under engaged and it's all about how they manage. Yeah. You said in the book that the way work is done lacks humanization. What do you think we could do to make work a little bit more human? I think it boils down to actually making that human connection. So if you think about the average day of a manager, uh, particularly the frontline guys, I have humongous empathy for any person who is a frontline team leader, supervisor, manager, the guys running mine sites or, or running a shift crew that has to go underground or the guys who are in a claims department in an insurance company. Everybody's got so much coming at them that so many plates spinning and balls in the air that they're trying to cope with their day job. And at the same time, they've got to really engage with people. They've got to make that connection. They've got to routinely check in with them, not check up. And so it's a big deal today. It's just such a more complex kind of a world that everyone has to do business in that I can fully understand why manager not focused on the people side, but they have to, because there's no amount of paperwork, reporting, technology, devices that are going to make up for that human contact. So as simple as that sounds, one of the starting points pragmatically is to connect routinely with your people and check in. Don't check up on them, check in on them, see if they need help or give them a pat on the back. It really is a case of checking in. That's the starting point. And then there's a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. There's one point that you made in the book that 
you said we're in a human ice age right now at work. What would you mean by that? <laughs> that was clever. It is a case of the planet is warming up and the people side is icing up because, again, <laughs> everybody's got their noses in their technology and into their reporting and into the next crisis, and they're not actually raising their heads out of that technology. They're not raising their heads up. I always call it heads up, but they're not connecting with people, and that causes that icy icing over, if you like, of the workplace where the more disconnected people are from one another, particularly between the boss and the, and the rest of the team, the more disconnected you are, the less comfortable you are, the less warm you are to each other, right? So it just ices right over. Is there any ideas you have for getting people to get their heads up and, and not in the devices so we can connect a little bit more? Is there anything you do intentionally to make sure that people are connecting, whether it's colleague to colleague or colleague and manager? Yeah. So it's funny, a couple of weeks ago, I had a senior executive team and one of them um, was the big boss, the big cheese. And he said, he really did repeat what I just said. And that's that there's so much coming at me and I've got so many crises going on. I just don't have time to connect with my people every day. And I said, then two things have to change. One of them is make sure you've got the right people on the bus because if you're, that's almost the table stake. So if you're comfortable, you've got the right people on the bus, then the more you connect with them, the less you're going to have to worry about crisis and it becomes a real catch-22 that if you do not connect with them, you probably are going to continue to keep your nose in your device, in your crisis, in your admin. But if you connect with them routinely, and it is a case of, I talk about something called 1530. I can't, I can't press this one. I can't push this one enough because it's absolutely free. You can just start doing it today. But 1530 is putting the rhythm and the routine into your day that gives you a trigger and says, up. Oh, once a day, I need to check in with my team, even if it's just a quick, hey, how's it going? And then once a week, that's your number five, every five days, have a really meaningful conversation for 30 minutes or, or rather have at least a good quality conversation for 30 minutes. And then once a month, have a really meaningful conversation about career and development and coaching. But if you practiced one five thirty with your team members each and every day, and you say one is just 10 minutes, five, I'm going to spend 30 minutes with, the, with my guy, and then 30, I'm going to spend an hour with them. That actually gives you that beautiful connection that becomes routine. People expect it. They don't think you're micromanaging because they get into that routine as well. They know if they've got a problem, ah, my boss is going to poke his head in or zoom in front of me on Teams or something pretty soon. I can raise it then. And you start to earn the right to have a conversation that is not just more engaging, but probably more productive because you'll, you'll be able to earn the right to talk about performance improvement routinely. All those things that managers get uncomfortable with and, and why annual performance reviews don't work. Do you ever get pushback from managers that you might work with that say like, no, I can't implement something like this, the one five thirty. It's just I don't have enough time or like what, what kind of arguments would you hear about why they wouldn't do it? All those things I talk about in terms of the, the next crisis or there's too much going on or I've got a day job that, that takes precedent over making connection. And really what you have to say then, I hate to make it this blunt, but if you don't have time to do that, you should be a specialist. Yep. You shouldn't be a manager. Agreed. You should just put your head down. Again, the, in good Aussie speak, head down, bum up, you get your stuff done. And then on the other side, let's get the guys who really do want to engage with people. Let's get them into the roles of being the managers and the and the leaders and the supervisors and the team leads because it is a choice. What do you recommend for implementing the one five thirty? Is it just a matter of 
scheduling it on the calendar and, and making sure there's a regular cadence there? Or do you have any recommendations? Yeah, go out and do it. So yes, I think that is the best way to start it. If you're not a person who has that kind of routine, then put it into your diary and into your outlook, particularly if you've got half the population is, is a lot of it is still working from home. The other half is at work. So if you're a work from home guy, then you're going to put it into your schedule. If you're at work, then you got to say to yourself that once, once a day, I'm going to get up out of my chair, walk around and go see my guys. And when I walk around and do that fabulous walk, about the business. I'm going to see things that are happening. I'm going to have a great conversation with each of my team. I'm going to see what's coming at them firsthand. And then I'm going to be able to actually work with them to remove the barriers that are stopping them from having a great day at work or go to them and say, hey, great job. This is really, you guys are on track and you don't need anything from me. So I'm, I'm just going to mosey on. It really is a case of just getting that into the drumbeat of your day and into your routine. All right. The big question here, and your book is centered around this question. Are most managers managing to engage right now? Or what would you say about that? I'm going to say their hearts are in it. I'm going to say that nobody gets up and, and says, nope, I'm not going to work with my team today. I'm going to completely disengage them and I'm not going to do anything <laughs> to make their lives better. I don't think there's really too many people who fall into that category, thank goodness. But again, I, I think their hearts are in it, but they don't pragmatically know how to really, really make it happen. And that's where the scores would be better, wouldn't they, if, if we were all doing it and if so many people were doing it. And that's where there's a really simple tool that you can use and it's called What Colour Is My Day? And you really sit back and put kind of a time log to each of the buckets of how you spend your day as a, a manager or a leader. And each of those colours, you pick, you know, name them whatever you want. Yellow might be admin, green might be when I am engaging and connecting, blue might be coaching or whatever you want to pick as your colours. But just assign a colour to each one and crisis, make that red. And then say to yourself, you pick red and yellow, how much my day is spent red and yellow? And if there is a high proportion of red and yellow, you're, you really have to say to yourself, okay, I need to do something different. I need to really dig into why am I spending all my day in crisis and why am I spending all my day with admin or in my technology? And then look for those root causes. And again, if you spend more time connecting with your guys, the likelihood of that red and yellow reducing is pretty high because you're going to know what's coming down the line. You're going to be talking to people. You're going to get prevention into your day. You're going to be able to actually prevent some of those crises. And you probably don't have to spend as much time analyzing your reports because you're going to know firsthand what's going on. You wrote that confidence is a multiplier. What did you mean by that? And if confidence is truly a multiplier, how do we instill confidence in our people? Huh. So confidence is one of those things that when you've got it, you can rule the world. And when you don't, you, you really can't do anything right. And so it is a case of building that confidence and confidence is in, in the way that I look at it, you want to, I would say, you got to out the doubt. So the first thing you have to do is get rid of the doubt that's in business. Are we really going to be able to make our numbers this month? Can that leader really do his job? Are these new guys really going to help me? Or is this equipment really going to be the answer to all our prayers? And so you've got to deal with all of those questions that kind of niggle people when they get to work, right? And you've got to think about what those are and then deal with those and respond to them. Don't ignore them. And then on the 
other side of it, you want to really instill confidence in your guys that you are there for them. You do care about them. You can do the work that you're there to do. And of course, then the other part of it is people lack confidence often because they don't have the capability to perform their job. And so again, as the leader, you've got to identify that. Where are these guys who you just know their hearts are there, but the skill isn't there and you can train that. It's really tough to train an enthusiastic, wonderful soul that comes in and, and wants to rule the world. You've got to hire for that. But boy, can you train the skill. And when you put those both together, you get real confidence that happens in your business. Yeah, so let's pull the thread on that a little bit more. What do great managers do to develop their people? Probably first starts with identifying those skills gap, right? And then developing them. Like how much time do managers spend on developing their people and, and how do they do it? So I think people development is an ongoing everyday thing. So you've got the formal stuff that you do that is that very formal based training where you're going to send somebody to a class or a course, or you're going to maybe put them in a situation where they can get the experience that will also train them. But at the same time, if you think through that concept of one five thirty, and you're speaking to your team routinely, and you're talking to them about where the gaps are in performance in a routine fashion every day, then you've got those coachable moments that present themselves everywhere. And you can be literally closing the gap on the variance, if you like, between what people planned on doing and what they actually did. You can take a look at what's causing that gap and then say to yourself, okay, is this something to do with the ecosystem or is it a skill deficiency in my team? And if it's a skill deficiency, you can address it there and then, whether that is coaching that is something immediate that you can do or whether you say, oh, geez, we ought to get uh, Jim over here to give you some time to talk through how to deal with this or you set that class and set people up to actually do formal training. But if you look at it that way, then development is an everyday, again, routine part of being a leader and a manager in business today. And the beauty of that, that you also get, you get a double whammy, you talk about a multiplier, you get a double whammy that you're actually going to start to build continuous improvement into your business because you're going to be continuously talking about how you can improve because you're there connecting with people, seeing what's coming at them and being able to do something about it, either you fixing it or freeing your guys up to fix the problems themselves. But you get that double hit. You get the continuous improvement really being built into and baked into the DNA of the business and you get almost continuous development happening as well. So I think it's both formal and informal that really counts. One way that I'd imagine employees can be engaged is by having connection with other people. What are some of the core principles for improving connections at work? whether it's the boss, colleagues, whatever. But I imagine that would spike engagement to have meaningful connection. Absolutely, yeah. So if you think about all of the things that come under the, or are connected, you've got connection, you've got collaboration, you've got community building. So of course, the biggest thing on connection is to actually get to know your people so that you can connect. It's like getting to know your next door neighbor or, or the guy down the road that you want to learn more about them so that you can have a, a meaningful connection with them. In the old world, people said, oh, you don't want to get to know people too much. You don't want to get too personal. Yes, you do. You want to know what their kids are doing. You want to know the kinds of things 
that are happening at home because a lot of the times what happens at home comes to work, just no different than what happens at work goes home with people. So connection today is a very personal thing and it is okay to learn and to be more personable with your guys. And then, of course, there's the whole connecting the right people with one another so they can learn from one another and continue to build their skill base. It's about putting the right kind of teams together where collaboration can easily happen. It's about learning from the guy in the next department where and opening the doors to that so you're not sitting in a silo operating in your own little world. And it's about building real community so that you've got little pockets of excellence that happen and people get that community spirit going and they start to kind of feed off each other in a positive sense of of learning more things, new things, different things they can bring to work to be more interested and interesting for one another. Towards the end of the book, you wrote that freedom comes from being empowered. So if people crave freedom and autonomy, I know I do, how do managers make this shift if they haven't let go of the reins, so to speak? This really is that concept of the more you get to know people, the more confident you feel as a leader. Yeah, and then you can actually let go because you know that someone is going to be able to do this whole concept of freedom and autonomy is when I first started thinking about writing, managed to engage, it was actually years ago and it was when the Arab Spring first came up and you saw all these people who took to the streets and and my favourite phrase out of that was, it was kind of like, how come people will take to the street for what they believe in but find it tough to get out of bed to take to the street that takes them to work. And a part of that is that sense of freedom. You you want to do stuff because you want to be free and autonomous. And of course, we all know what happened with the Arab Spring, but fast forward past that and, and kind of relate to business. And if you can bring that sense of freedom, that sense of autonomy to people, the ability to say, you've got this, I'm going to give you all the instructions in the world that you need, but you've got this. And then I'm going to get out of the way and just let you be great. Let you be remarkable at your job. And then you know where I am and I'm going to touch base with you and check in once a day. If you need help, yell, we'll talk then. But if you need something in between, but I think that's it is managers need to have the confidence to let go. And then the teams need to demonstrate it's a two-way street. They need to demonstrate they have got this, they can do this. If you could speak to the managers and leaders that are listening to this podcast and, and tell them do one or two things immediately and it's going to improve the engagement of your employees like right away what would you what would you start with what would you tell them <laughs> so of course do 1530 because that's straightforward and simple of course be heads up because that's you can take your nose out of your technology immediately but there are a couple of other things that i think niggle people so i use this concept of flying monkeys a flying monkey is when you want somebody to do something but you're going to blame it on someone else as to why they should do it so you'll sometimes hear managers come over and say okay listen pam I really want you to do this, but actually I need you to do it because my boss has told me it has to be done. And the moment you do that, you abdicate all responsibility yourself and you make it something that someone else is telling you to do. And of course, what do you do as the recipient of that? You think to yourself, well, he doesn't really want me to do it. What he really is telling me to do it is because someone wants him to do it. So maybe he doesn't believe in it. And that causes a lot of people to back off and think, ooh, this isn't a really good environment. 
balance. Stop using the flying monkeys. Just be really accountable yourself. We need to do this because we've got a problem with production right now. Production is not where we need it to be. Let's talk about what the gap is and let's work together to get it done. Instead of what might have been said might be something like, my boss is really giving me a hard time because the numbers aren't there. So we're going to have to really work on this to get my boss off my back. And those are all the wrong reasons. Really what you want to do is fix it because it needs fixing. And if it doesn't need to be fixed and you're still using someone else's kind of excuse to get it done, then go talk to your boss and tell him to stop using flying monkeys. But I think that whole concept of flying monkeys is a really important one because it just is that niggly thing that oftentimes at every level in business, you hear that being used. And then another one is the concept of energy vampires. Take them out of the business. I think that people are reluctant to act concept of one one bad apple. It really does cause the entire cart to be impacted. And if you think about the concept that good news doesn't, all it prints is white space. No one wants to talk about the good news, but boy, does everyone want to, <laughs> right. you know, everybody wants to talk about what's going wrong in the business. And I think you've got to really address those energy vampires because they can bring everybody down. So it's these tiny little things that if you change, you could actually have a big impact on your workplace. Pam, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Your book is Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results. There's so much good stuff in this book for managers to help increase engagement inside the workplace. And I know most organizations, they really need this. So I encourage people to go pick it up. Where can people learn more about you? You're the CEO of Proudfoot. Anything that you want to share with people as we part? Oh, sure. Yeah. So proudfoot.com, we're an operations consulting company. So that's a fancy speak for we make major changes in business and that are immeasurable. So big transformations. But you can contact me through Proudfoot. You can contact me through PamelaHackett.com. And of course, the book is available at just about any bookstore on Amazon. Pam Hackett, been my guest today. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, I thank you very much as well.